Hello and welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live this Christian life. Today in the podcast, we are hearing the sermon from this weekend that's part of the sermon series, Transformed Lives. Pastor Ben explores the ways that Jesus transformed those that he interacted with. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com, Podbean, iTunes, Google Play Music, and Spotify. Our scripture today is from Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but the sinners. Well, three weeks ago, we started into this sermon series called Transformed Lives, But before we even got there, if you'd been around New Life for a while, you already had a couple truths in your back pocket to help you work through this conversation. And the first thing you already knew before we started into this series is this, that everyone, everyone, everyone wants transformation. Your neighbor wants transformation. Your spouse wants transformation. Everyone in life wants transformation. The problem is not everyone knows where to find it. But you do. Because if you've been around New Life long enough, you've learned this lesson as well. That we're taught in the book of Romans that if you really want to experience transformation in your life, that you have to have your mind renewed. In other words, if you begin to think differently, you begin to act differently. And if you begin to think like Christ and act like Christ, your life will truly be transformed. And so as we started this series, we started seeing five interactions that Jesus had with people. And how he transformed their lives by getting them to think differently. And as a result, they acted differently. And as a result of that, they influenced those around them. See, the first week we ran into this guy that's just called the rich young man in Scripture. And we learned about him that he was religious, right? He was a religious guy. He had a lot of money. And he was really concerned about death for some reason. So there must have been some sort of tragedy or something going on in his life that he was laser-focused on death. So he goes to Jesus, and Jesus offers him this amazing, amazing opportunity. He says, follow me, an invitation reserved only for his disciples. He says, follow me. But when he said that, this young man knew what that meant. To follow me meant to be a disciple, to become like me. And the rich young man went away sad because he knew the implication that he had to put Jesus first. In order to become like Jesus, he was going to have to give up the other thing that he was holding on to for transformation, which was his money. Last week, we ran into a guy named Jairus. And Jairus was the ruler of a synagogue, which means he had to navigate all the religious political mix in that day. But despite that, he was willing to commit political suicide to fall at the feet of Christ and begged for his daughter's life because his daughter was very, very sick. And Jesus said, yes, 
I'll go with you. I'll heal your daughter. As they walked towards the house, the daughter died. But Jesus went with them anyways. And they continued that conversation and they continued moving towards the daughter, even though she had passed. And when they arrived, there was a big commotion. There was wailing and weeping and obviously people were upset. But it was in that moment that Jesus showed his power. He showed his power over death. He raised the young girl and he connected us to this amazing truth that real eternal transformation is actually provided through death. You see, something that Satan brought into the world as our destruction in his mind, Jesus took and flipped on its head and provides ultimate transformation. See, for those who are in Christ, when we die, we are given to Christ and we're perfected and we're in perfect relationship with him in a place where there's no pain and no sorrow. Well, today we're going to interact with another conversation that Jesus had while he walked around. And as we go through this conversation, as we look at this interaction, this is the truth we're going to see. We're going to see that being in range promotes change. Being in range promotes change. And all throughout the story, you're going to see that truth play out. But let's take a look at the story, an interaction between Jesus and Matthew. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. So we see Jesus right away doing what Jesus does, which is he's walking around, he's doing ministry. And just before this happened, Jesus actually healed a man who was possessed by a demon. So he casts out the demon. Obviously, that would gather some attention, right? Whenever someone heals someone, people kind of gather, people take notice. And so Jesus is dealing with a crowd. Probably not thousands at this point in time. It was pretty early in his ministry, but at least hundreds are probably following him around and watching him and seeing what he's going to do. So Jesus is walking, and people are clamoring to Jesus, wanting to talk to Jesus, be around Jesus, to see what he might do. And this is what he does. He goes up to a man named Matthew. Now, what do we know about Matthew? It says he's sitting at a tax booth. And the reason he's sitting at a tax booth is because he is a tax collector. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not a huge fan of taxes, right? I don't enjoy paying my taxes. I don't enjoy looking at my paycheck and seeing that a bunch of it is going to a bunch of letters. I don't understand what they are. And it's probably being mismanaged by someone who makes way more money than me in Washington. I I don't like that, right? So we kind of have a natural disposition that we don't really enjoy the IRS. We don't enjoy paying taxes. But it really doesn't bother us all that much, right? Because we live in a great nation. But these are not the tax collectors that we're talking about in this day. You see, the tax collectors in this day worked for foreign government. You see, what had happened is Rome had come in and they had taken over the land. They had subjugated the people. And as they did that, they would tax the people for the glory of Rome. And so the people would get taxed and that money would go where? It would go to Rome to fortify their armies to make sure that nobody could turn on Rome, that people could never fight back against Rome, and to make Rome this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place. And so the tax collectors were despised because they were invaders taking money from the people to go back to Rome. But it actually was much worse. The tax collectors just just weren't Romans who were there. They were actually Jewish people that the Romans had recruited to take taxes. So it actually was one of the Jewish people 
taking taxes for the foreign invader and sending it back to Rome. But actually, it's much worse, as bad as that is. It's worse. You see, in order to become a tax collector, you actually bid for that position, which means that you probably had some money already, and you bid for the honor of being a tax collector. So it was a case of the rich paying for a position. And once they got that position, the reason they wanted it is because Rome gave them free range to charge a surcharge, which means as they would tax you, whatever amount they felt, they would add it on and they would pocket that. And so the rich would get richer on the backs of their own people for the benefit of a foreign government. So people rightfully hated the tax collectors. And when Jesus was walking to this man and the crowd was following him, they had some assumptions of what was going to take place. See, Jesus was known to stir the pot. Jesus was known to say it like it was. And so as he walked towards the tax booth, what do you think they thought he was going to say? They thought he was going to call this guy out. They thought he was going to grab this guy by the collar and say, what are you doing? You are a Jewish man turning on your own people for the benefit of a foreign government. What are you doing? But that's not what Jesus does. Look at what he says. And he said to him, follow me. Follow me. A statement reserved for his disciples. You see, in that day, some of you know this already, but a rabbi, a teacher, had disciples. And the disciples' job was simply to become exactly like that teacher, to become a carbon copy of that teacher. So someday they could go teach and make other carbon copies of themselves. But what Jesus was doing and how he navigated this idea of discipleship was very different than how other rabbis did. See, what would happen in that day is if you were a rabbi, people would come to you. Your popularity would grow and people would come to you and say, may I be your disciple? And they had the opportunity to say yes or no as the rabbi. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus went to people and handpicked people. And this is incredibly beautiful because this is still how he operates today. He comes to us. We have nothing to offer. And he says, follow me. And gives us the opportunity to be in a real relationship with him. So he goes to Matthew. He goes to Matthew, and everyone expects that he's going to call this guy out for his sin. But instead he says, come and follow me. Become like me. Be my disciple. Join my inner group. And when Matthew heard this, this is what he was thinking. If I become like Jesus... That means that I have to give up this and this and this and this. I'm going to give up my position, which I bought. I'm going to give up my riches. I'm going to have to give up my lifestyle. I'm going to have to give up everything if I follow this guy. So what does he do? Well, you know the rest of the story, right? Matthew was written by a disciple called Matthew, who was this guy. He says, yes, I will be your disciple. I will sacrifice everything to follow you. And this is what Matthew does next. As he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. So what does Matthew do next? We're told in the other Gospels that this house that they're in, it's Matthew's house. So the first thing that Matthew does when he experiences transformation is he throws this huge party. 
He throws this huge party and invites who? The only people that will hang out with a tax collector, which is other tax collectors, right? So he invites his friends to experience Jesus because he wants them to have the same transformation that he is experiencing. So he throws this party and he brings his friends in to spend time with Jesus. It's a beautiful truth that the people that we influence are the people that we're closest to, right? He knows, he knows that for real change, you have to be within range. And so he brings his people within range to Jesus. And this is what happens. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, we know the Pharisees. They're always trying to get Jesus caught up in something, right? They're always trying to make him look bad. So they ask him this question. But the question really isn't that far out of bounds. You see, in that culture and in that day, if you had dinner with somebody, it implied two things. One, there was implication of intimacy, right? There was this, this joining of two people. And that kind of exists in our modern culture too, right? You go to dinner with people you like or want to get close to. But also in that culture, is a little bit different than ours, is if you went to dinner with somebody or invited someone to dinner with you and you were around them, it also implied that you accepted them and you accepted the things about them. So when the Pharisees asked this question, it wasn't out of bounds. They said, what are you doing? These are bad people and everyone knows they're bad people. And by having dinner with them, you're implying that you want to be close to them, but worst of all, you're implying that you accept their lifestyle and what they do. Now, let me be clear on one quick thing. We know what tax collectors are, but sinners is kind of vague. And when it says sinners in this context, it's not talking about all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? It's not talking about everyone who has sinned, which is all of us. When it says sinners in this context, it's talking about people who have taken on the identity of their sin. They're living in the lifestyle of their sin, and they don't care. They're unrepentant. They are who they are, and they don't care what anyone has to say. This is who they are, right? They are sinners. This is their identity. So when Jesus has dinner with them, the Pharisees are right. In that culture, what are you doing, Jesus? You seem to be implying that you have accepted these people as they are, how they live, and how they act. So this is Christ's response. But when he heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. In other words, he was saying, I'm taking on the role of a doctor. I'm taking on the role of the doctor. I'm going to go to the sick people and help them. Because if I don't, who will? So he goes to the people who desperately need him, which is the tax collectors and the sinners. The people who've embraced their sin and actually identified and were living out their sin on a daily basis. And so he said, I'm going to go and be a doctor and help them. Because that's what doctors do, right? When you go to the doctor, you expect him to be there, don't you? You expect him to interact with you. You expect to see him. And if you don't, you're probably not very happy. 
Because to properly diagnose you and to properly help you, you have to see the doctor. So Jesus said, I am the doctor. I need to go into the room where the people are sick to help them. And he goes on. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've come to call not the righteous, but sinners. So he makes a statement which we don't really understand, but it's incredibly offensive. He says, go and learn what this means. He's talking to incredibly over-the-top educated people in the Pharisees. They had a majority of the Old Testament memorized, and they had read it through and through and through and through. So he says, go and learn what this means, and then he quotes something they all had memorized. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, which was a quote from the book of Hosea. And I've struggled with this section of Scripture. It's been a hard thing for me to understand. And the reason that it's hard for me to understand, and and the reason it's hard for you to understand, is because we don't live in the sacrificial system anymore. We don't think about sacrificing animals when we screw up, and when we fail, and when we hurt God, and we hurt others. We We don't think that way anymore. But these people did. These people did. They were still in that mode Jesus hadn't yet gone to the cross to be the perfect and ultimate sacrifice to pay for all the sins so that we don't have to sacrifice any more animals ever again. So when he made this statement, what he was saying was, when you go and sacrifice your animals, what are you admitting? You're admitting that you screwed up, that you failed, that you need help. When you go and go and do your sacrifices, you realize that you're a messed up human being. That's the point of the law. That was the point of the sacrifices, to live in the reality that we are messed up, screwed up, we can't do it our own, and we need a Savior. And because of that posture, this is why Jesus says, I'm not worried about the sacrifices. I'm worried about the attitude that results from the sacrifices, which is mercy, which is empathy, which puts us all on even Ground. You're screwed up. I'm screwed up. They're screwed up. And that means that we need to go to them to be the doctor, to communicate to them, to get within range, to promote that change in their life so they can experience real transformation. So what's the crux of this conversation? What do we see all throughout this interaction between Matthew and Jesus? It's this. Being in range promotes change. And it's simple and obvious, but the problem is we don't really live it out, do we? But we see Christ live it out. We see Christ live it out. He lives it out in our lives. He says, follow me, follow me, follow me. He goes to the disciples and says, follow me, right? Become a disciple of me. Become like me. Be transformed by me. The same offer that he offers to us, right? Follow me, experience me, understand my truth. Come to church, hear the word, get in a life group, hear God's word, read our daily bread, read your Bible, listen to a Christian podcast, listen to Christian radio. Because when you're within range of Christ and you're permeated by Christ's truth, guess what happens? You begin to change. You begin to change. You begin to come, become like Christ, just like his disciples became like Christ by being near him on a constant and regular basis. But also we see a secondary truth played out in Christ's life and Matthew's life. 
that in order for other people to change, in order for us to influence others, we have to be near them too. And that's why Matthew did what he did right away. He experienced transformation. He invited his friends over for a big party. Because why? Not for the food. Because Jesus was there. Because he knew that if he could just get them near Jesus, near Christ's word, that they would experience transformation too. And that's why we will have the most influence with those who we're close to. Our spouse, our brothers, our sisters, our kids, our grandkids, our close friends, because we're close to them. And God has given us an opportunity as we're close to those people to influence and change and impact those people. But we also see Christ play this out in a larger venue. We see it in the story. He went to be near the people that no one else wanted to be near. The people that everyone else had given up on, right? The tax collectors and sinners. They are who they are. They don't care. This is who they're going to be. This is the identity. This is the lifestyle they've owned. So we're just going to avoid them because that's safer and that's better and we don't want to be associated with them. But what does he do? He goes to them. He interacts with them. Because he knows if he really wants to influence the people who are really struggling, he has to be near them. Think about it. Christ could have easily come in as an adult. He could have appeared on the scene as a 30-year-old. He could have gone to the cross immediately, and he could have been the ultimate sacrifice. But that's not what he did. This is what happened. He says, the Father sent the Son in the form of a baby, which means he had to grow up Amongst his creation, he had to interact with people all of his life. He had to be near them. Why would he do that? It wasn't necessary. He did it so he could be within range to promote that change in their life. And that truth is just as true then as it is today. As we draw near to Christ, as we draw near to our friends and family, as we draw near to people in our community that desperately need change, when we do this, when we get near them, when we get within range of the people who desperately need change, we'll experience transformed lives.